It's week two of our sermon series backdrop. Last week, we took a look at scripture that is oftentimes misused or parts of the Bible or the church even that are co-opted to offer messages that are not really in the will or the way of God. This morning, we want to continue in that series and look at another passage of scripture that's oftentimes used, but also oftentimes misinterpreted. We'll look at putting it in its right backdrop, making sure we keep it in its context. Because remember, context allows us to properly exegete the text. There's exegesis, which means that the scripture is actually in its text. And then there's eisegesis, which means that we're pulling it out of its text and reading into it our own interpretation. This morning, let's properly exegete Jeremiah 29, verse 11. Good morning, my brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and we're glad about it. I'm so delighted and excited that you have decided to join us and worship with us in the spirit of beauty and in the spirit of holiness. So much is happening in our world. We live in a world where there is upheaval and uprising. We live in a situation right now where the pandemic is seemingly not loosening its grip. But here's the good news, beloved. In and through all of this, we can continue to stand on the promises of God. The promises of God are yea and amen. So let's just keep standing.
Our scripture today comes from the book of Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, the 10th through 12th verse. And it reads, For thus said the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, said the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for another opportunity to minister your word from this place, Lord. Thankful for yet another opportunity to worship your name. Lord, we give thanks for the many ways you have chosen to bless us. We thank you for continuing to protect us and continuing to watch over us. Lord, we thank you for your healing power. Lord, we thank you for your deliverance. Lord, we thank you for your grace. Lord, we thank you for your mercy. We ask for your anointing today, Lord, on our pastor as he bring your word. Lord, we know that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So we ask that you speak through him. Finally, Lord, we ask that you bless this church family. Bless all those who are hearing the word today, Lord. Continue to bless us. Continue to guide us. Continue us to point us in the direction so that we can live the life that you would have us to live. In your son's name we pray. Amen. God certainly has great plans for us. Plans to prosper us, give us an expected end and a wonderful hope. That's the scripture that we will be teaching today. But even before we teach it, why don't we press into believing it, that God will prosper us. The Bible teaches us this, that if we try God with our tithe and with our offering, that he will open up a window of heaven, pour us out a blessing, that we won't have room enough to receive it. We invite you now to give in this our offering. There are any number of ways that you can do so. You can use our K-Chapel app. You can always give online. You can always drop your offering by the church office. And of course, text your offering to the number that's on your screen. However you do so, make sure you give so liberally, regularly, but do it cheerfully. God still loves a cheerful giver. I worship you. 
Lord and put those hands together and bless the name of the Lord. Has he made a way in your life? Come on and bless his name. Has he opened any doors? Come on and bless his name. Has he healed anybody's body? Come on and bless his name. just who he is. He keeps on making a way. That's who he is. That's what he does. Light in dark places. Peace in the midst of storms. Bridge over troubled waters. Bread in a hungry land. Water when I'm thirsty. Keeps me when I'm by myself. He, he is, he is, he is, My God. That's who he is. Hallelujah. That. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the gifts that have been given in your name. Lord, we are thankful for those who gave, and we ask that you return their givings tenfold. Lord, we're thankful for those who desired to give but did not have, and we ask that you bless them as well. Lord, we ask that this be used for the edification of your word, the uplifting of this church. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Good morning, Kay Chapel. There's still an opportunity for you to get connected to one of our K virtual community groups. Check out the K Chapel app or the K Nucleus page for more information on meeting dates, times, and groups available. We look forward to connecting with you this week. Get ready, get ready for Celebration 13 Anniversary Weekend, honoring Pastor Reginald M. Buckley on Saturday, July the 25th. Join us for our heart-to-heart -heart celebration of love featuring the motorcade. That's right, the motorcade. This fun-filled family activity will allow each of us to celebrate in a drive-by parade where we can greet our pastor and his family on the grounds of Cade Chapel. Decorate your cars and trucks, hunk your horns, and join in the fun. The motorcade lineup will be on the Bailey Avenue side of the Medical Mall. During the motorcade, you'll also be given the opportunity to drop off your $50 per person love offering as a token of appreciation for Pastor Buckley and the First Family. I know we don't have to get ready for this K-Chapel because we stay ready to show our love to our pastor. So we'll see you at the Celebration 13 Anniversary Weekend on July the 25th 
and then join us for a very special anniversary worship service on July the 26th at 11 a.m. Tune in via Facebook, YouTube, and the K-Chapel app. Don't miss this grand opportunity to show your love for our extraordinary servant of God who is indeed grounded in love. So we'll see you at the motorcade, a heart-to-heart celebration of love. Contact your ministry leader or call the church office for more information on how to participate. Now stay tuned for a very important public service announcement. Good morning again, my brothers and sisters. Listen, I just wanted to take a few moments and talk with you and share with you a few thoughts about COVID-19 and its spread in our community and in our state. I know that you've been watching the press conferences and and you've been reading about the numbers. Uh, We're going in the wrong direction. Quite frankly, we need to get back to practicing the social distancing, back to wearing our masks, back to washing our hands, the things that we were doing in the earlier part of the year. I know that You've heard uh, some say that, you know, when it got to the summer, that this thing would miraculously disappear. Well, it's summer and it's still here. It hasn't gone anywhere. And so we've got to do those things that help to flatten the curve earlier in the year. Wear the masks, wash your hands, practice social distancing. Let me also make a very special appeal to my young adults, to my millennials, because earlier in the year, it was said that uh, you guys would not get the symptoms or the fatality rate was much less than those who were in the older generation, the older population. But now we're beginning to see that, that millennials get just as sick. Sometimes they end in fatalities as well. So please, by all means, I know it's summer. I know you wanna move. I know you wanna do the things that we normally do but these are not normal times. We can't do it the way we normally do it. Slow down, be still, practice social distancing, wear your masks and wash your hands. Eventually, we'll get back to this place. Eventually, we'll worship together in this holy sanctuary, but it will be a while. So until we do, let's do all we can to stay healthy and to stay whole. I'm praying for you. I love you, and we'll see you soon. It gets so hard, just trying to figure it out, fighting down, trying to believe God. Trying to watch the words of my mouth and stay on the ride Trouble come and go Even on the mountain high or the valley low Never let your faith go Woo! Never let your faith go yeah. I've been there before So confused, don't know which way, way to go <laughs> Stressed out, world so crazy Miles will stay in the house Fear trying to rise up Got terrorist disguised, they look like us But we know who we trust Just when I say that we gon' be We gon' be alright. Tell 'em, tell 'em, tell 'em. We gon' be alright. Alright. Say we gon' be alright.
things Evil times will come and it's here today Look at all the hate, senseless crime and murder Human trafficking, racism, police brutality Bullying, rape, troubleless things Shiny appearance and people like Let your kingdom come, let your will be done In the earth, let your glory rise Let your sun shine, let it burn How familiar is this verse? We see it on graduation cards and coffee mugs, bookmarkers and t-shirts, from bumper stickers to book covers. This is one of those verses that shows up everywhere. It's been made to encourage and inspire and invigorate people in the pursuit of their next venture, their next steps, their next endeavor, their next whatever. When a couple is moving to a new city, this verse is used. When a recent graduate is beginning her new job, this verse is used. When a retiree is starting a new career, this verse is used. When a couple is getting married, it's this verse that is being used. But, but if I'm honest, it's not just in good and exciting moments when this verse is used. I've heard this verse used in some not-so-good times. There's been a tragic accident when there's been a natural disaster. Even in the case of the loss of a loved one, people look to and lean on this verse as a way of trying to locate or point to God's hand in and on everything that happens in life. It happened, whatever it is. And we look to this verse for theological consolation and, and we conclude that it must have been in the plans of God. Rather than faithfully wrestling with the reality of evil and suffering in a broken world, we co-opt this verse to help ourselves or someone else to accept what happened as a part of the good and perfect plan of God. And even though it hurts, even though it's heartbreaking, even though it may tear me completely apart, we put it in our big box of God's plans and God's purpose. So, so before we go much further into this sermon, let me offer some good theology on suffering. God 
is omniscient, which means that he knows everything. Everything that has happened, everything that is happening, everything that will happen. Nothing takes God by surprise. But God's knowledge of everything does not mean that it is his will or even it's his plan. It's not God's plan when a mass shooting happens. It's not God's plan when a child is molested or a woman is raped. It's not God's plan for unarmed black men and women to be killed by white police officers. That's, that's not a part of God's plan. Everything that happens to us is not a part of God's plan, even though he knows everything that will happen. What God does is he gets into our happenings, what's happening to us, and he helps us through it and eventually brings us to a good place. The Bible teaches us all things work together for good, meaning that there is good that God can bring to and out of even bad situations. But that doesn't mean it was God's plan for the bad to happen so that he could bring good into our lives. If, if that were the case, God would not be omnipotent or all-powerful. If God had to depend on evil happening to us or rely on the enemy in order to work his good into our lives, that would be a weak God. But what God does is he uses the bad as an opportunity to bring good. Some, someone has described suffering like this. Suffering is not God's desire for us, but it occurs in the process of life. Suffering is not given to teach us something, but through it we may learn. Suffering is not strictly given to punish us, but sometimes it is the consequence of our sin or poor judgment. Suffering does not occur because of faith being weak, but through it, our faith may be strengthened. God, God does not depend on human suffering to achieve his purposes, but sometimes through suffering, his purposes are achieved. That's, that's pretty good theology. So first, let's understand that God works his plans and purposes independent of the evil or the bad that may happen to us. He, he may use them for our good, but he is neither restricted by them or tied to them. Our pains are but portals that God may enter to, into and use to manifest his plan or advance his purpose. And I'm glad that God gets into our hurts with us. He enters into our pain. He comes into the wreckage of our lives and makes something out of our situations that we never could or would have imagined. So. So let's get to the verse. Let's unpack Jeremiah 29 and 11 by looking at it with fresh eyes to see and to hear what the word of God really says. This passage has a much deeper and perhaps a, a much different interpretation than what most of us are used to hearing. The, the first thing we have to do is approach the text correctly. Look at it from the context in which it was written. Remember I told you last week that most of the Bible is written in one of six contexts of oppression, Egyptian, Assyrian, Babylonian, Persian, Grecian, and Roman. The book of Jeremiah is penned during Babylonian oppression. Jerusalem has been besieged by the Chaldeans, and as a result, they deport about 10,000 Jews from Jerusalem and, and have them to settle in Babylon. There's a very specific plan in place because they don't just take captive anyone of Jewish descent, but they take from Jerusalem the priests, the professionals, the craftsmen, the wealthy, the most prominent citizens, and bring them to Babylon, leaving the working lower class behind. In essence, they take the talent and the tax base 
from Jerusalem and resettle them in a foreign land. Because what they know is, you really want to destroy a city, you don't have to just do it physically. Just remove the tax base. If you want a city to crumble, just leave it without resources. Let them have city government and give us the tax base and we'll build our own city, our own bedroom communities. We'll work in your city and use the infrastructure to build up a new lifestyle. And let's see how long they last without the resources that they need. It, it's what happens in cities across the nation over the last 40 years as black and brown people began to mass populate urban cores until reaching what's called the tipping point where white citizens take flight for suburban living. They leave the city's public school, leave the shopping malls, leave the movie theaters, leave the airports, leave all of the infrastructure that have been used for generations to just crumble. And of course, as is the case, when property values are well below market value, then a redeveloped interest in the city takes place and people come in who had abandoned the city return with plans for redevelopment and pricing out those who have been living in the city. It's called gentrification. If you aren't careful, even churches play a part in this plan through a renewed interest in the city, a focus on the city, a, a heart for the city, a ministry for the city. And just because it's got city in the title doesn't mean it's really for us. So now here are these 10,000 professional class Jews living as exiles under Babylonian oppression, but, but they do not enjoy their upper class status in Babylon. Rather, the upper class are suddenly made into an underclass. The haves were made into the have-nots. Now, if you want to mess with people, mess with their class. Change their sociological standing and framing of who they are and where they fit in. They, they were used to being on top, and now they're on the bottom. They were used to having access, and now they have to ask permission. They were used to being movers and shakers, and now they have been moved, and they're, they're being shaken to their core about who they are and who they understand God to be. It's in that state, it's in that place, that they begin to get depressed and hopeless. I mean, if, if your world changes overnight and everything you knew and understood and did was suddenly the exact opposite, you might get a little depressed too. They, they began to lose hope, so much so that they couldn't even bring themselves to worshiping God. You hear it in their Psalms. How can we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? We don't have a temple to gather in for worship. We don't have an altar where we can make our sacrifices. We, we were on top and now we're on the bottom. How can we sing in a place and at a time like this? It was in the midst of such hopelessness that false prophets began to emerge because that's what false prophets do. They look for opportunities to become relevant. They look for moments and people to take advantage of for their own good. So a false prophet by the name of Hananiah tells the exiled Jews that God would break the yoke of Babylon, freeing them to return home within two years. Hananiah says, basically, God's about to break some things. God's about to send your release on the way. God's going to turn this thing around. Get ready for your breakthrough. Hananiah says, get ready for your blessing. Get ready for your overflow. God's going to do something new in your life. This is your year of harvest. This is your year of increase. This is your season. And listen, after a while, you ought to get suspicious of the preacher that prophesies every year to be your year. Every year is your increase. Every year is your harvest. Listen, some years have got to be years of sowing. 
Some years have got to be years of working and tilling the soil, forming the rows, weeding and chopping the grass. Every year can't be your year of overflow and abundance. Hananiah was preaching a false message. Jeremiah comes along and exposes the lie for what it is and says to Hananiah, because you have lied to these people, the Lord says, I will remove you from off the face of the earth. By the way, all of this is in chapter number 28. The Bible says that in the seventh month of that year, Hananiah died. So that's the backdrop of Jeremiah 29. When we get to Jeremiah 29, nobody's graduating from high school. Nobody's writing a new book. Nobody's starting a new job or moving to a new city. When you come to Jeremiah 29, you have to sit with people who are being oppressed. You have to sit with people who have gone from having it good in their own land to having it bad in a foreign land. You have to sit with the people who have gone from being somebody to being a nobody. This is a group of people who have been displaced to a foreign land, gone from being on top to being on the bottom, living under the rule of their captors, unable to go to temple and worship God, being mocked by their captors who are asking them to sing some of their Zion songs. And on, on top of all of that, having been lied to by one of their own prophets, they wouldn't be there much longer. So if we're going to exegete this text correctly, the first thing we have to observe is that this text is not written to an individual person. The promise declared in this text is not to a singular you, but to a plural you. I know the plans that I have toward you. You is referring to a people, not a person. The you is plural, not singular. God is saying to a collective of people that he has not forgotten about them. He says, I know where you all are. I know where you are, why you all are there. I know how you all got there. I know what's going on where you are. And I also know what I'm going to do with you and for you in all of this. You see, while I know that we look for personal insight and inspiration from from scripture, this passage really speaks to a group of people. This passage really ought to remind us that as a people, when things are coming against us, when systems are stacked against us, when structures aren't built in our favor, when policies don't privilege us, when laws aren't written with us in mind, and when it seems like we're in a land that's not our own, that God can come in the midst of all of that and be with us in extraordinary ways to perform his plan and his purpose. The psalmist declares, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And this passage ought to remind you that when we face what we face as a people, that we're still his people. And because we are his people, we're going to be all right. Because he is our father and we are his children. We, we're going to be all right because we are his sheep and he is our shepherd. We're going to be all right because the promises of God are yea and amen. Yes, we are going to be all right because the Lord said, I'll make your enemies your footstool. Because he said, if, if you go through the water, it will not overtake you. If you go through the fire, it will not kindle against you. If you go through the flood, it shall not overcome you. We will be all right because God is on our side. God is faithful to his word and God will keep his promises. And that's what you've got to lean on in hard times, the promises of God. That's what you've got to stand on in tough times,
the promises of God. That's what you can depend on when everything else lets you down, the promises of God. And that's what the Lord gives to these exiled people in Babylon, a promise. But before you can get to the celebration of the promise, you're going to have to deal with the sorrow. And that's the part of this scripture that nobody wants to deal with, the, the sorrow that's in the promise. This part of the passage, it never gets printed on any t-shirts. This part of the passage never gets printed on any coffee mug. This part of the passage never gets published on a greeting card, but it's right there in the preceding verse. Verse 10 says, For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good toward you in causing you to return to this place. You see, this is what so many times we skip over and leave out, and this is critical to the whole backdrop of this text. God says to the exiles that what Hananiah said about two years is far from how long it is going to last. You will be in this land for 70 years. It's not going to be a quick turnaround. It's not going to happen suddenly. Things are not going to get back to normal in a quick way. God says where you are, you're going to be there for a while. In fact, for 70 years, which is why in verses five through seven, Jeremiah says, build houses and dwell in them, plant gardens and eat from their fruit, take wives and have children. In other words, Jeremiah is saying to these exiles, you should not become anxious because this is going to be our situation for a while. And rather than, than, than getting ready to get back home, Jeremiah says, you need to make this your home. Rather than trying to go back home, you need to create a new home right here. Settle in, settle down and unpack. Stop living out of boxes because you're trying to be ready to move again. Unpack, go ahead, decorate, hang your pictures, paint the walls, go ahead and do everything that you need to settle in and make this your home. And then he goes a bit further and says, and seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord for it. For in the peace of the city, you will find peace. Remember, God is not talking to people who are coming back to the city. He is not talking to people who are seeking to return to the city. Rather, he's talking to people who have been living in the city and longing to return to their homeland. He's talking to people who have been living in the city and have been unsettled about where they are. He's talking to people who have been oppressed in their city, people who have been downcast in the city, people who have been an underclass in the city, people who have been under-resourced in the city, people who have been marginalized in the city. God says to these city dwellers, not city lovers, God says, where you are, you need to make it better, work to make it better. Where you are, you need to commit to its prosperity. Where you are, you need to do things to make it advance because as it advances, so will you. As it flourishes, so will you. As it succeeds, so will you. As your city prospers, so will you. See, this is a good word for us as we find ourselves in a familiar space of having to fight for freedoms and justice and, and in some cases just for basic decency and humanity. What God says to us in your context, understand that things get better when you make them better. Systems get better when you get in the system and work it for your good. Policies get better when you become policymakers. Laws get better when you participate in the process. See, so many times we want to complain about what's not happening and what ought to be happening. And 
we're not putting ourselves in a position to actually make those things happen. You cannot legitimately complain about who's in office if you're not registered to vote. You cannot legitimately complain about the laws that are passed if you're not engaged in and vocal about and holding officials accountable. God says to these people who are in exile, listen, you're going to be there for 70 years. Now you can either sit on the sidelines and have things happen to you, or you can get involved and engaged and work for the welfare of the city because as the city gets better, you will get better. As the city prospers, you will prosper. Quit worrying about it, not wanting to advance your oppressor. You've got to learn how to subvert their oppression because if it grows, you will grow also. He says, and if you grow, then when you go back to Jerusalem, you'll have more resources. If you grow, you'll be in a position to help rebuild the nation from which you were exiled. And that's when the Lord says, I know the plans. That's when he says, I know the purpose. I know how this is going to work out. I know how this is going to end. I know how I'm going to use this for your good and for my glory. I know the plans that I have for you. It's going to be all right. Jeremiah 29 and 11 is something for us to rejoice over because God says to us that although we may suffer a while, that it will not be forever. We have a promise that God has a plan for our lives. Regardless of our current situation, he can work through it to prosper us and give us a future and a hope. Christians, brothers, we can take comfort. Sisters, we can take joy in knowing that all situations may not feel good, but when God gets in them, he works them for our good. Jeremiah 29 and 11 passage commonly taken out of context, but when kept in context, what a great promise we have to celebrate that God gets in the midst of our happenings and makes sure that everything will be all right. I am absolutely convinced that God does have a plan and a purpose just for you. In fact, the Bible teaches that it is not the will of God that any man should perish, but that all of us would have eternal life with him. You sense that God is speaking to you and knocking on the door of your heart. I want to encourage you to go ahead and open that door and let him in. The way you do that is by praying this prayer of faith with me. Won't you pray it now? Father, in the name of Jesus, I open my heart to you and I ask you to save my soul. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died on a cross for my sins. And I believe he rose again from the dead. And right now, I ask Jesus to rule and reign in my life forever and ever. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, I want to welcome you to the reality of being saved. I'd also like to ask you to call the number that's on your screen so that we might welcome you into this new family of faith. As a member of this new family, we are your brothers and sisters, and I would have the privilege of being your pastor. So we want you to call that number. There's someone there who's waiting to speak with you and pray with you and give you next steps 
on how to live out your new life in Christ Jesus. Go ahead, make the call now. We're waiting to hear from you. God bless you and thank you so much for worshiping with us on this Lord's Day. Thank you for being a part of our K-Chapel online community. Listen, we want to remind you this week also of our virtual community groups. Speaking of community, we've started these groups so that you can have an opportunity to connect with your brothers and sisters, see them and share with them, catch up to know what's going on in their lives and they share with you what's going on in theirs as well. Join a community group. The schedule is on the Nucleus page or the K Chapel app. There's a community group waiting just for you. Now may the grace of God and the sweet communion of his Holy Spirit rest, rule, and abide with each of you now, henceforth, and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Go in peace.